Alphine Tuliamuk, welcome to the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thank you, Mary. Now, I'm going to start by referencing a popular song lyric that makes me think of you. And it goes, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. And at least when it comes to U.S. national championship races, um, including your two most recent ones at the half marathon and 25K distances, that has held very true. Um, why are these national championship events so important to you? Uh, well, I mean, I'm a new citizen. I'm only, uh, been only a citizen for the last couple of years. And um, for me, I kind of feel like doing national championships is my way of showing gratitude, you know, to this beautiful nation that gave me opportunities that I never, I never would have gotten them anywhere else. And so doing the national championships is just a way of um, just showing my thank you. Um, and I mean, it's a great way to really compete against, you know, like some of the top U.S. women without like having to worry about the international field. And, you know, a lot of times those races are really tactical, you know, so it's like it's a good way to learn how to just compete. A lot of times I don't have to worry about time, just go out there and have a good race and hopefully get away with the win. And how would you rate your competitiveness? Is that one of your strongest attributes as a runner? I think so, yes. I mean, I haven't really run like really, really fast times compared to a lot of the athletes we have around the world. And so I think um, I'm a much better competitor, you know, than like a racer than saying going out there and trying to get a fast time. I haven't been able to have the opportunity to run fast. And even when I have, Things have gone wrong. So, yes, I am a better competitor. Uh, let's talk about your path to becoming a U.S. citizen, which happened in 2016. Um, and you went to school here, uh, Iowa State first, and then eventually Wichita State. What did your journey to the United States look like in the earliest stages when you first came here? <laughs> it was a. Uh... It was hard. You know, I remember when I first got here, you, the American English was really hard to understand. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the first classes that I went to was a psychology 101 class, I think. And for the first three days, I did not understand a word. You know, the, the tutor it was a tutor who was teaching that class was saying. And I remember seeing people um, turning like assignments and I'm thinking, wait, what are people doing? Like, I don't I didn't hear anything. Um, or like the school bus system, for example, in Iowa State, I lived about two miles, I think, with my friends. And uh, so we would take the bus to school. And I don't think in the beginning I paid attention. I thought every bus goes to the same place. And I remember one time I was going home and I took the wrong bus. And I don't remember if I took another one or not, but I decided to walk back home. And that was not fun. And it was very hard, actually. Uh, it was like in the fall and for whatever reason, that particular day was really, really hot. Oh, like <laughs> I think the, the next day when I got here, um, we went to a grocery store. And I remember uh, Betsy Sina, I lived with her and we were going to the same school. Um, her and I went to the grocery store and she picked up groceries and um, I don't remember exactly seeing her pay and I remember thinking, wow, this is so cool. I guess our school has a store that we just go get food and then <laughs> leave. We don't have to pay anything. I mean, it's just like when I think about stuff like that, it just cracks me up now. Um, one thing I should have mentioned to our listeners from the outset is 
you came here from Kenya. Um, you were born there. You grew up in a small village in the Rift Valley. What was that like as a young child? Gosh, it was beautiful. I mean, um, we had to walk everywhere, but that's what we did. And so we didn't know any better. Um, it was a lot of fun. School was so much fun. I, I mean, I've gone to schools here to talk to kids and it breaks my heart, you know, to see that the kids don't have opportunities to enjoy being a kid like I did. Um, like back in Kenya, whenever we had recess, it was so much fun. As a matter of fact, I think I loved school only because of recess, because we would go out and play and play and just have a lot of fun. Like you will know when you're a mile away that there's a school nearby because of how loud kids are screaming. Kids love to play. And we played unsupervised. You know, we had a lot of ground to play. All sorts of games that we wanted to do. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, we used to run two miles to school. And that was not a big deal because, I mean, that's where my home was. So it's not like I had a choice. And there were a lot more kids who came from further, you know. And they never complained. So it was fun. But now looking back, like when I go home now, I cannot walk those two miles. If I need to get something, I put on my running clothes and I just run because it drives me crazy to just think about walking for two miles. <laughs> you had just mentioned how you would, you would walk for two miles and, and started running. And that sounds like it was your introduction to it. What was your introduction to the competitive side of running? And what was your first race? I think uh, something that I don't know if I've mentioned a lot was, you know, becoming a runner comparatively was an accident, I think, uh, because it just like I was training, you know, going to school back and forth. Uh, but then like every year we will have uh, in the school competitions where we will run against our neighboring schools, just fun, like friendly running. And it was never meant, you know, to go anywhere. But then like I succeeded in that and, um, I think the first time really that I started running and realized that I had the talent was back in 2000. I was a fourth grader back then. Um, I represented my school, went to the next level, to the next level, and eventually I made it to the state level. And that was really cool. I don't remember exactly how good I did at the state. I didn't do so well because at that time I was already missing home. And it's funny because so when we would go from, um, like one competition to the next level, we will do camping because I mean, we have kids from all over my like different schools in my village. And so you wouldn't say that they will have to go home and come back. And back then we didn't even have like vehicles. So we will do camping. Like we'll go to one place or one village and camp. And by the time we did uh, the state level, I was so like, it was my first time leaving home and I was just like miserable. I wanted to go home and my parents and some of the people from my village actually followed me, but then they would just come to the competition and go home. And I was just, I cried. I wanted to go home and I didn't even want to compete well anymore. So I just, I had given up and I just wanted to go home, but that was back in 2000. And really since then, I think I realized that I had, you know, the talent and definitely I had a work ethic, but I didn't even need, I didn't even know that I needed to train back then I was young and I had been training without thinking about it. But yes, yeah, so it's back in 2000 is when I've learned that I had the talent because that was the first time I went to what would be equivalent of state here. So were you at a school that was located outside of the village that you grew up in? Not really. No, it was, um, it was pretty much one of the only village schools, um, 
So at the time, we used to have, seriously, like I think one school at about two or three mile radius. So then that was the only school that I could attend. It's, I mean, when you think about walking to school, three, two, three miles or four miles is far away. So that was the only school that I, I could choose to go to. There weren't really any other options. I see. And when did you first attract the notice of a, of a coach who realized that you had some talent and that you could be a good competitive runner? Uh, after that statement in 2000, uh, one of my distant relatives who had worked with a lot of, you know, athletes that ended up, you know, becoming professional athletes and even competing internationally noticed me and, uh, he asked me to go stay with him. So he trained me, but I didn't want to do it. So I didn't do it in the 2000 and in 2001 is, uh, I actually left home uh, and I went and stayed with him and he trained me. And yeah, so 2000 and the 2000 race really exposed me to, you know, other things, but it wasn't until 2001 that I, that I decided to move and really kind of pursue the running, even though, I mean, it was just running as a kid, but you know, like trying to train and make the junior Kenyan team. I mean, as you know, it's very, very competitive, even like at a younger level, you still have to train. Did you ever feel any pressure at that time to, you know, to make something of it? Or were you just enjoying yourself and discovering what you could do as an athlete? Honestly, I think I felt pressure because once I left home to go live with my uncle, it was very clear that I, I had the talent and that I wanted to represent Kenya someday. And so the pressure was there. I wanted to do better. And I think the more I had pressure, the less I performed because I didn't even go to the uh, to the national level until um, like from that I went to uh, I, I kept going to state meets, but I didn't qualify from there to go to nationals until 2004. So there was a lot of pressure, and eventually I kind of like pretty much gave up. But then in 2004, actually not 2005, when I uh, started high school, I was I got so lucky, and I I I was top six, you know, uh, at nationals for the junior, and I was able to represent Kenya. But it took that long. It took about three, four years, and there was so much pressure between those years. Let's pull on that that pressure thread here for a second and just kind of looking at how you deal with it today because you're competing at a national and world-class level. Do you ever Do you ever think about, you know, how you dealt with pressure as a, as a young kid and how has that um, how has that influenced how you approach it today when you're racing in some of these big championship events? You know, it's funny. I don't think I've ever thought about it. Um, the only thing that I think about now, whenever, you know, I, I'm dealing with pressure, you know, like from racing and stuff is that I just tell myself that this is an opportunity of a lifetime. When I was growing up or when I started running, I never thought that I would be the person that I am today. I never thought that I would Living in America, I would be independent woman doing my own thing. Like I have an opportunity that not a lot of people have. Like even the the people that are my role models when I was in Kenya, they don't have the opportunities that I have here. And so when I have that pressure, I just tell myself that I am in a better place. And I don't, I don't want to complain because this is not going to last forever. And so I try to enjoy the process. Well, up until when I got injured um, a few months ago now, that was hard. And we'll touch on that here in a second. But going back to your high school days, and you were competing at this 
at this high level. You got to represent Kenya for the first time in competition. What um, what brought you to the U.S.? How did that come about? So I didn't know anything about scholarships, uh, scholarships in general until I was a senior in high school, actually my last semester of high school. The same uncle who believed in me and wanted me to go live with him was the one who introduced me to, uh, you know, the scholarships here in America. Um, so I stopped running. Uh, so I represented Kenya in 2005 as a freshman. When in 2006 as a sophomore and I wasn't training much. I went to a school where really like it was an out of state school because most high schools back then were boarding school. So I went to school far away from home and it was more like I wanted to uh, focus on my education more because I had seen a lot of Kenyan athletes who are very, very good, but then they didn't have education. And I had seen how much they fell apart when running wasn't working anymore or even like they will go overseas, run well, and then come back and misuse their resources. So I stopped running um, when I was like uh, a senior in high school. I stopped running and boy, I became heavy. Like I remember when I got out of high school, I didn't even think I could run again. And even when I actually ended up coming to U.S., I like it was very hard. But when he introduced the running to me, I was like, well, you know, if I get good grades, I would love to train again. So when I graduated from high school, got good grades, I started training again. And um, so my former coach in Iowa State, Corey Amos, um, he went to school with uh, Bernardo Corrier. I think he works with Athletics Kenya. Mm -hmm. So they went to Iowa State together. And it so happened that he had, like, Bernardo Corrier had athletes in our village. And the day that our results came out, he was in the village, and so I got to talk to him, and he was like, well, I could probably get you in touch with U.S. schools, and he got me in touch with Corey uh, Amos from Iowa State, and really that is how my recruitment started. Like, I, I didn't even want to go to the school. I just wanted to go to Iowa State, and Corey came to Kenya um, a few months later, and he saw me running, and I went terrible, but lucky enough, that was the only day that I broke 18 minutes. I ran 17.59 in a 5K. I was very heavy. And for whatever reason, Corey believed in me. I think he, he saw me and he was like, well, maybe she, she could probably run. But anyways, yeah. Um, so he recruited me and I came to Iowa State in the fall of 2009. And we touched a little bit about what that initial experience was like, but what was it like as a runner on the Iowa State team when you got here and meeting teammates for the first time and competing for a U.S. school? Was it a bit of a culture shock to you? It was, it was, um, I mean, uh, the training was a little bit different. However, though, because I had also ran at like a really good higher level, you know, before or like the training that I was doing before I stopped running was at a high, a much higher level. I wasn't afraid to do the work, but however, you know, like being in the new environment, it was different. And also like that was also the first time that I, I had a little bit of money, you know, for my own and I could do whatever. I had freedom. I had my room and I had the freedom to eat whatever I wanted. And I was in paradise. Like I remember I keep telling people, like I remember one of the things that I really liked, Corey invited us to, to his house and he had pizza and I had never had pizza and I tried it and I thought it was heavenly. So I, I kept eating lots of pizza and that was not good for me. Um, so then I didn't really run well. I did run well that cross country season, but then I got injured in the indoor season and I really struggled 
through the outdoor season, I struggled a lot. And then it wasn't until the next fall during cross country when I really started like, you know, picking up and running and giving hope that I could actually be another runner. But surprisingly, so that was in 2009, I had this idea in my head that I was going to go to the 2012 Olympics. I don't know how, but hey, I was motivated enough that I was going to make it. Because I didn't make it. <laughs> um, so from 2009 at Iowa State, you ended up transferring to, to Wichita State after a couple yes, of years. Yes, uh, spring of 2011, I did. Um, so one of the other things when I was growing up, um, I witnessed uh, a couple of my infant siblings you know, die because they couldn't access healthcare. Uh, and one of, one of them, uh, like my mom needed, you know, to make, to make sure that the next dispensary, like the, it's not even a hospital. It's just a dispensary, you know, uh, it's just a building with drugs. And, um, I think it was like a nurse who was, um, like heading it or like, and so he wanted me, she wanted me to go check if it was open. I went to that one and it was closed. I went to another one and it was closed. And I went to a third one and it was closed. And my uh, baby brother died before he even got any medical attention. And um, my other baby brother had died before that. And so I wanted to do something in healthcare. Um, and I felt like I didn't have the brains to like try to go and be a doctor or even the patients. And I thought, the only thing that I would want to do is be a nurse and I also didn't have that degree. So I transferred to Wichita State specifically to pursue nursing mm -hmm. and I got to Wichita State and, you know, it became a little bit complicated just because I realized that I couldn't really handle that with being a student athlete. So I actually ended up doing public health instead, but nursing is something that I will definitely go back to as soon as I'm not running competitively because we still have, we still lack access to healthcare in my village. And again, a few years ago, my sister, like my niece died again because of the lack of, you know, um, access to healthcare. It's gotten so much better now, but we could always use more. And I would love to get my nursing. I would love to, um, get some of my friends, you know, who are maybe doctors or so. And then maybe annually or even every other year, just go to my village and neighboring villages and volunteer, you know, just volunteer, give medical access to people who wouldn't otherwise get it. Like by setting up a clinic or just something where yeah, people could yeah, go to. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Do you do anything now aside from your athletic pursuits to, you know, to, you know, to help people either back in your village or even where you live now in Flagstaff in the public health realm? Um, well, actually, no, I haven't. Um, so I moved to Flagstaff, like, what, about three months ago? But prior to that, I was working as a um, home health um, aide. And so what I did was I just worked with uh, people in the older people in their homes, just helping them and doing whatever they needed um, to be done. Like, And that was really nice. I did that for two and a half years until when I uh, moved here. And my boss was really understanding. So... I don't know if I will do that again or not. I'm not so sure. Um, right now, I think I'm at a point in my life where I just want to dedicate this time, especially now that, you know, the 2020 Olympics is getting closer. I just want to dedicate all my time to that. But if I had the opportunity, like, I don't know, to do something like public health related, I will definitely take it as long as it's reasonable with my schedule. 
Hey, we're going to take a quick break to thank the first ever sponsor of the Morning Shakeout podcast. It is Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile fuses fashion and function for all runners, men, women, road runners, trail runners, track runners, however it is you choose to define yourself by creating a personal shopping experience regardless of where you are in your running journey. It's fun. It's super easy. I just got my first box the other day and was really impressed by how well they nailed my style. Here's how it works. Go to mercurymile.com and create a profile. Then you pick a shipping date, and a few days later, you'll receive a curated box of incredible running apparel from a variety of brands that is put together by your own personal stylist. You keep what you love, send back what you don't. You get free shipping, free returns, no subscription necessary. Super easy, super fun. Try it today at mercurymile.com and use the code THEMORNINGSHAKEOUT. That's all one word when you check out and save 10 bucks on your styling fee. My thanks to Mercury Mile for their support of the podcast. Now let's get back to the show. We'll go back to, you know, 2020 Olympics and that pursuit here in a second. But you've mentioned, you know, your uncle and some siblings, you know, who had passed. You're one of 32 siblings. Yes, um, I am one of 32. And no, they are not from the same mom. They are from four moms. So <laughs> Because polygamy is something that is practiced in Kenya, correct? Yeah. Yes. And, and most of Africa really in general. Okay. Where do you fall on that line of siblings and what was it like to grow up in such a large family? Mm. I'm one of the oldest. I'm, I'm the second from my mom. And, um, so my mom is the second wife. So I would imagine, and then we have an older brother from our stepmother number one. So I think I'm actually third I'm not sure if my sister from, uh, like my half sister, I'm not sure if we're age mates or not, but I think I might be third or fourth oldest. So we, we weren't always so many, but then now there's so many of us. <laughs> and what's your relationship to many of your siblings now? Are any of them runners like yourself? Oh, I have a really good relationship with my siblings from, you know, like my full siblings and half siblings. I have a very good relationship with them. I have only one of my full brother here. Um, he goes to Liberty University. He's actually a freshman. Um, and so that is the only family that I have here in America. But the rest of my siblings are in Kenya. They are going to school. And when I say I have a good relationship with them, like I support my half siblings, you know, whenever I need, like, for example, I'm helping, you know, one of my uh, half brothers. He's going to college in Kenya and I took on the responsibility of paying all his tuition. Just because, you know, I can do it, I'm capable, and it was also a way of making sure that my, our family stays united. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like a couple of weeks ago, maybe about a month ago, my, uh, my older sister, my uh, full sister had, uh, like a fundraiser and my siblings from the other houses, my half siblings really supported her. So we have a very, very tight relationship. And when I go home, all my siblings come, you know, we get together and we just have fun. And our dad usually, you know, like slaughters a sheep for, for all of us. And we come together, we talk to each other, we just have fun. That's incredible. How, Yeah. so kind of just playing off that, that theme of family, like how important is the team training environment that you're in now with Northern Arizona elite and being able to train with other women and men who have similar goals to you and meeting up for workouts and just kind of having that family type atmosphere it is very important to me and i want to mention that when i was in santa fe i know that i've done a few interviews where uh people think that i didn't have a group to train with in santa fe no i did have a group 
However, it was never, um, we didn't meet every day like this. And then it was a much smaller group. There was only three of us women and there were guys, but we never really ran together. But this is different. And I really like it because we meet almost every day. We meet for workouts. Now I haven't really had the opportunity to like have like hammer workouts with my teammates here just because I got here when everybody was training for marathons and then I got injured, but I really like so far I have enjoyed just being able to go out and run with my teammates. Like it's mostly been on easy days, uh, because like Stephanie and, um, and, and Kellen are coming back now. And I think next week will be the first time that all three of us, Stephanie and Kellen and I, I'm going to have a workout together and I am so excited for that. Oh my God. I can't, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to that, but it's nice. And like, I think that the, the difference now since I haven't really done any heavy workouts with them, it's been like, for example, in easy days, like today, actually I haven't ran and I hope Ben doesn't know this um, <laughs> because we didn't have to meet there and I am so lazy when like, I don't have to meet. I just were doing my run and I only have one run. If I had two runs, I would have already ran. But like when we meet, like during easy days, it forces me to get up in the morning and say, if I am tired, having my teammates, you know, dragging me along is very, very important. And I like that a lot. But I'm, I only have an excuse this week because I just came back from a race and I had two days on my own. <laughs> well, I will run, I promise. Well, and, and lucky for you, I'm not going to publish this for a couple of weeks. So our secret is safe. Um, <laughs> Top notch secret is safe. Good. <laughs> what was what was the initial? I mean, you just said you were in Santa Fe for a while, uh, training with Ryan Bolton's group, and I know Caroline Rotich was um, part of that crew. What was the attraction to Northern Arizona Elite and Flagstaff and Coach Ben Rosario's team, which you joined earlier this year? Well, last year um, I wanted to explore options. I had been in Santa Fe uh, for about four and a half years. And I was sponsored by New Balance, but my contract was up and, um, you know, I wanted to explore options. I wanted to explore what was out there. And, um, I also wanted something that was closer because my boyfriend is in Santa Fe and I wanted something close to Santa Fe. And I came out here, Ben was super interested. And actually, uh, this was after New York City Marathon. I had seen how good Kellen and Stephanie ran. They kicked my butt. I remember like, I don't even remember Kellen going by me. Like, I, I don't know. But I remember Stephanie, like, getting me in the last stages, and she was just moving, and I was like, wow. It's like I'm not even moving. It's like I'm going backwards. And so I saw that, and I remember congratulating Ben, you know, at the finish line saying, hey, your group did great. And so having that information, and I talked to my manager, and I was like, well, you know what? I'm interested in checking out this group. I came out here. Ben was interested. I came out here. I met with the group. I checked out some of the words in Flagstaff and I really liked it. You know, I liked their goals. I looked at their workouts that they were doing for the past six months. I looked at what the American buildups were and I thought this was something that would work for me. It wasn't, there wasn't so much deviation from what I was doing before, but I just liked the group environment and also like Flagstaff, the roads here in Flagstaff, there's so many of them. There's a lot of hilly roads to run in and it reminded me of my hometown. And immediately I kind of felt like black stuff is where I need to be. Like it's going to get me to that next level. And honestly, I am still feeling the same way now that I'm here and I love it. And so I came to visit and I think when I left, I kind of knew like almost hundred percent that I was going to come here. Like for my part, I was like, I really like it. 
I like the players. I like the group. I like the coach. They have a really good uh, training schedule. It's not so much different from what I have been doing. So it's not like it's going to be a huge change or anything. You know, it will be something. If anything, it will be changed to the right direction. So you've mentioned once or twice about the 2020 Olympic trials and how important it is to you to try and make that team. And now you're training with two other women who have the same goal. How important will that collective energy be over the next two years as you all work to make the team? I think that would be great. My God. Um, I cannot wait. Uh, like I said, I haven't really had big workouts with my teammates yet, but I cannot wait until the time when we all just train together, having the same goals. I think it's going to be amazing. I think we could be a power team and I am looking forward to that. I am excited and looking forward to it, to us pushing each other. When one person is not feeling it, the other two, you know, are on top of it. I think it's going to be a really good environment. So I was, I was doing a little research and texting with your coach, Ben Rosario earlier, trying to get some inside intel for this conversation. And one thing he had mentioned to me is how much you admire and look up to Steph Bruce. Why is that? I mean, I, uh, she's a super mom. I think, um, when I go check out her kids, like there was one time we were going, uh, they, they actually the only, well, no, no, no. One of the two times that I trained with Stephanie, um, we were going to confetti and, um, we went over there. It's a 6 a.m. They are both trying to get kids, you know, to, to get ready for the babysitter. And I'm looking and I'm like, wow, like the kids are just like doing their thing. I mean, they're doing their kids thing. They don't know that mom and dad need to go running. And then they just come out and act like no big deal. Like, oh yeah, that's normal. And I'm like, I just got out of bed and I need coffee. Like I'm dying here. Like I want to go back to sleep. How do you guys do this? Oh, like I just see how like, as soon as she's done, like when she's out there running, you will never like know she's a super mom. She's just a runner. And then when she goes home and she posts some of the videos, it just, I don't know. I'm just excited. And I, I think the way she carries herself around, you know, like as, um, a proud athlete and, and, you know, like, I, I don't know, like I've watched a few videos about her and I just admire her, you know, like as a human being, I think she's an awesome person. And on the flip side, what can Steph and Kellen learn from you? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I'm not a super mom or anything. I don't, I don't know. I guess I will have to, um, I'll have to try and be a good teammate and I will have to see what they think. I have not asked them what they think of me yet. I hope they think highly of me. I mean, uh, but no, I don't know. Honestly, I, I, um, I mean, I'd like to think that I have a really uh, high self, high self drive. And I know that they have that too, but I will hope that when people see me win these races, you know, I would want them to know that it's not easy. Like it doesn't come easy to me. Like I have to work my butt off. Like it, it's, it's hard. And so I want people to know that it doesn't come easy because sometimes people see me winning and be like, wow, it doesn't even feel hard. And I'm like, no, I'm hurting. Or like sometimes when we go to workouts, like I'm human and I'm like, I don't want to do this workout. Or like now I'm like, oh my God, I wish I had ran this morning. What was I doing? So I would hope that people just realize, you know, I know that everybody works hard, but I just want people to know that we work really, really hard. And I have 
I've got a high self-drive to like perform better and be a better person, not as just an Arwana, but as a human being. Where does that drive come from? Oh gosh. Um, I don't know. I think when it comes to running, uh, it's just that running is not a job for me. It's something I'm very, very passionate about. Um, it's something that has changed my life completely. Now through running, I have met so many people. Um, like last week when I was in Pittsburgh, we went to the VIP dinner with, uh, the sponsors and I had gone to visit a school the day before and talk to kids. Oh, and by the way, one of the kids asked me if I was in the Black Panther movie. That was really cool. <laughs> I was like, wow, awesome. I mean, I could have been Nakia, but that's if you movie, watched the Black movie Panther movie. I don't know if you watched it. Yeah, movie star, professional runner, movie star. Not yeah, so bad. except I don't really know how to act. Um, but I had gone to the school and talked to the kids, and I had a lot of fun. And they gave me the opportunity to speak in the VIP. And prior to that, honestly, I don't think I had... Um, had a chance to speak in front of people like that. And so like without running, I would never have had those opportunities. I have met some really, really incredible people in my life and things have changed for me through running. And so like, I don't know, it's just amazing. And like running has changed so much for me. And so I think I get that drive from there or like the things that I'm able to do to my family. You know, like be able to help my siblings pay their tuition. Cause like I said, I'm helping one of my step, my half brothers, but I'm also a legal guardian for my niece. Well, as far as finances for school is concerned, anyway, paying her tuition and everything. I'm a legal guardian for her. And if I wasn't running, if I wasn't here in America, I wouldn't be able to do that. And so I get that drive just because I am at a position where I can do things. And if I don't, if I stop being self-motivating, then I'm not going to be able to do anything. And I, you know, I feel like I still have so much in me. I know people see me and they're like, wow, you're so accomplished. But when I think about it, like, I just feel like I haven't done much. I feel like I haven't hit the jackpot that I, that I need to. And so I still have to have self-drive in order to get to that point. Whether I will get to that point or not is different. Like, I, I mean, we'll have to find out. What would that jackpot be for you? Is it the Olympic team? Is it something in addition to that? Uh, something well, aside I mean, from like, it? I, I want to be compared. Like, I mean, like, if, if I could make the 2020 Olympic team, I think that would be wonderful. That would be great. If I could, like, compete against some of them, like best women, you know, especially in the marathon in the world and win like some of the big marathon, big mar- city marathons. I think that would be a jackpot for me. So those are some of the things that I'm looking into, you know, like winning big marathons or, or like making the 2020 Olympics. Like those are some of the things that I feel like if I can get to that point and successfully get through it, and then I feel like I will have hit a jackpot. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting topic of discussion because women's distance running in the U.S. right now is arguably at an all-time high with Shalane winning New oh, yeah. York last fall and Desi winning Boston uh, just a month or so ago. I mean, the depth is just staggering. I mean, what will it take to make the 2020 Olympic team as a female in the United States two years <laughs> from now? Gosh, um... I think for the first time ever, it just gotten, it has gotten really, really hard to like be, like it would be very hard to make that team. I think honestly, I feel like it's like if I were in Kenya, there's so many options 
And to make that team, it will take a lot of dedication. It will take a lot of practice. It will take a lot of perseverance. Um, I'm hoping to go to, um, and I check out the course, uh, at some point before then. And I hear it's a rolling, you know, I hear it's what flat for Atlanta, which of course flat in Atlanta is not exactly flat. So it will take a lot of, I think a lot of factors will have to go. A lot of things will have to go right that day to make that marathon team because there's only three slots and we have pretty much what, like at least 20 women right now that have run really, really well. And honestly, I don't know how many American women are like have personal best better than me, like in the marathon because I haven't really mastered the marathon. So I have a lot of work and a lot of the young women now that are running really, really well in the half marathon 10K are moving up. I'm, I would imagine by 2020, they will be running the marathon. So it's going to be really hard. Maybe one of the hardest teams to make, really. And I'm excited about that because, you know, I'm sure like a few years ago, you people used to think that um East Africans were like, you know, the greatest. And I mean, they are, but like now I think kids are beginning to learn or like people from other athletes from other parts of the um of the world are beginning to know that with hard work and dedication, you can do it. With Chilean winning New York and Desi winning Boston, it's like, it's possible. You just have to be there. And like this, Desiree said, keep showing up. Even when things are going south, just keep showing up. So you, you raise an interesting point. You just touched on the fact that a lot of people would look at East Africans as as the best in the world, and arguably they they are at these longer yeah. distances, especially the marathon. I mean, in your experience as someone who was born and grew up running in Kenya and was part of that system and then came here to the U.S. and experienced the collegiate system and now um, the professional ranks as as an American runner, what are the biggest differences that you've noticed between Kenyan runners and American runners? Um, I think one of the reasons why Kenyan runners have been very, very successful for a long time, honestly, is the training groups. There is so many training groups in Kenya and, um, there is something to be gained when you're training with a group. Like you go to Kenya, you will meet, like if you go to E10, for example, even Eldoret, you see hundreds and hundreds of people in different groups just running together and hammering it. Whereas if you come here, and you're training alone, you don't really get a lot out of yourself if you're training by yourself. And I think, um, like part of the reason why, like, you know, like the U.S. runners are getting better now, like if you look at them specifically, really, like they're from some groups, like it's rare that you find someone just training solo and do really, really well. I think the groups, uh, training in groups is really helping. But yes, I do think that because like even a lot of those runners in Kenya that are winning big city marathons, like when it's time to build up a marathon, they go to a camp. They have their own homes. They have families, but they leave their families behind. They got through to a training camp maybe for two months and train. All they do is just train and train and train and just rest. And so I think, yeah, like the reason why we haven't done well in the past is because we were training individually and we didn't, we just didn't know the importance of being in a group and being in the right group and having, you know, people who are not too competitive with each other, but like having a, like a common goal, wanting to succeed together instead of killing each other, you know, like doing workouts, wanting to see, Hey, who, who does this workout better? It's not about that. 
Like it's just about helping each other, lifting each other up. And when it comes down time to race, that is the time when you need to showcase everything you've done. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you did at practice. If you can replicate it in a race. Yeah. Do you feel like you have that now with Northern Arizona elite and what you guys are building? Yeah, I do. I do. And like, again, I keep going back to the fact that I haven't, like we haven't like, like the ladies, the three of us, we haven't had the opportunity to train together and feed off of each other. But I think that going into 2020 Olympics, it is going to be like, that is when it's going to come to like play and it's going to help us a lot because we will be doing the same thing. It's a little bit different, you know, when we all are training for different races. Like I remember, um, like Kellen, for example, she was running, uh, a tough spring, like course marathon and, and Stephanie was running a flat marathon course. So in that case, like it was, there wasn't a lot of workouts that they could do together, but I think that going into 2020 Olympics, when we all are training for the same thing, I think it's going to be really, really helpful. And I'm excited for that. I'm looking forward to that. Who are your own personal heroes, both in running and in life? Um, well, when it comes to running, um, she is from my village. Uh, she gave me my first ever, ever pair of running shoes and they were flats. Her name is Tekla Lurupe. She won a few races here in the U.S. and I think it was mostly in New York. I think she won the New York City Mini 10K a few times. I, I'm not sure if it was four times or five times. So she's my hero in as far as running is concerned. Gosh, um, in life in general, I don't know. I don't think I've thought about that. <laughs> yeah, but like in the world of running, she's definitely my hero. And um, I I would love to be as good as she is someday. Even though you're representing the U.S. now internationally, how much pride does your success bring those back home in Kenya who follow your career and support you? It brings them so much pride, you know, like pride. I mean, even though I'm running for the U.S., I'm still inspiring kids in my village. They still see me as one of their own. And um, when they see me, especially these days when we have social media, you know, like when I win a race and I post it on social media, they are so excited because they can see that one of their own is doing, you know, really great things um, here in America. And that makes them really proud. And um, and I also try, you know, to use because, again, we still like in terms of education, Kenyan athletes are still not that much educated. So when I go home, I try to motivate them, you know, that um, running will always be there to a certain point. But you have to be able to finish your high school education. You have to go to college in order to, like, um, use the benefits of running to maximize running. You have to be educated and smart. But if you just run and not get educated, what about when running is awful? What are you going to do with your life? So I try to use that. So even though I'm running for the U.S. now, I am still... Um, making a lot of difference for people in my community just by being myself, by doing the one thing that I love doing the most. I know we have to wrap up here in a second. So this will be my, my last question. You'd mentioned once uh, earlier in this conversation, how earlier this year you were dealing with some back trouble. It was really the first injury that you've ever had to come back from. Um, just talk a little bit about, as we wrap up here, uh, coming back from that and what lessons, you know, what lessons you learned and how that may have reshaped your 
perspective uh, going into the rest of your spring racing campaign that allowed you to win two more national titles? That was a tough one. Um, So I had had this nagging back issue uh, since probably like, um, I think if I could remember correctly, August of last year, it was just a very uh, uncomfortable pain. It was never anything bad. And then it would go away once I started running, but, and even training for New York, there was only one or two times where I was like, wow, this is really painful. Maybe I may not be able to do it, but it never like prevented me from training. It wasn't until my second week when I got here, cause I got here on Thursday and then the next week on Sunday, I was doing a long run and my back went completely out and I could not walk. I could not dress myself. It was really, really hard. And, um, I'm, ne- I'm never injured. The only other time that I was ever injured is as a freshman in college. Um, and I don't remember much about it. And so it was really hard for me. Um, it was hard for me not to, uh, go out and, and do workouts too soon. Cause I'm not used to it. That I felt like my spring season was slipping away. I had just joined a new group and I had an obligation to do things right and things weren't going well. And at the same time, you know, like, even though I knew that I made the right choice by coming here, there was also that doubt of what if I didn't make the right, the right choice? What if this wasn't going to work out? And really that Sunday that my back uh, went out, honestly, I thought that was the end of my running career just because of the pain that I had. Lucky enough, I had people that really helped me um, and I recovered and my teammates are very patient with me. I, uh, I'm glad I was with this team too, because I had access to like elliptical. So I went to Ben's house almost every day and did the elliptical. And that really helped me because it wasn't like I wasn't putting any pressure on my back. So it was just, I was getting, I thought I was getting fitness anyway, but like, and like I was sweating a lot, which was good. I never realized how important that was to me until I wasn't running. And, um, I went and, my back got better. Um, and then I went to New York, uh, two weeks before New York City half marathon. I didn't think I could run, but then I did a long run and I was like, well, I'm feeling good. So then I went to New York and really, I think I got out of that race what I expected. And then a month later, I ran the cherry blossoms 10 miler. My body was beginning to feel better. Not so much, but my back wasn't bothering me. I ran that race. My back didn't bother me, but I just couldn't move. My hips felt so tired. It felt like somebody was hammering them with like a really strong hammer. And at that point I was like, I don't really know what I can do. And it was just very challenging. But then I came back and I felt better and I put in a lot of mileage and my, I started feeling like my old self and I started, you know, like feeling some hope. Really when I went to that half marathon championships, I knew that there was a chance I could win. But I also knew that there was a chance I couldn't win because Sarah Hall was there. She's an amazing runner. Gwen was debuting, but she has done really, really well, you know, her past two races. And she was training with a great group. Um, so I went into that race just wanting to win. And I wanted it so badly. And it happened. But the surprising part was how fast I ran. I still can't, like, even comprehend how fast I ran that race. I mean, it's a very hard course, especially the last six or so mile miles, except the last mile, which was downhill. The first, like the 
five miles between until mile 12 were incredibly hard. And I just cannot believe that I ran that fast. And I think when I crossed that finish line and I saw the clock, I was just, I almost lost my mind. I was in such an emotional high that when I went to my other race, my next race at 25K, I think two days or so before the race, for the first time, I felt exhausted. It was never a physical thing. It was just mostly just emotional because I had been in such an emotional high the week before that I just felt like I was drained. And I actually um, had to talk myself into getting excited for my 25K championships and getting ready to uh, run well. And lucky enough, um, I had an interview uh, the day before the race. And, you know, it was just one silly question that brought me back to, like, my old self. Um, And this guy asked me about when I was growing up. And honestly, that is all it took for me to be back in my game. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to do this. I ran the 25K. I had a lot of confidence in me just because six days before that, I had run really, really well. So it's been incredible. And I think what people could learn is, um, like when I was doing my workouts, I never did any killer workouts. For the first time, I think I went to a race telling myself that I don't really know where my fitness is. Just because I haven't done fast workouts and I'm in a new place I was doing my, all my workouts in Buffalo Park, which isn't exactly um, easy. So I didn't know, but I think, and I remember talking to Ben, and he was like, it's not always about how fast your workouts are going. It's just that the fitness is there, and you can produce it you know, during the rest. And that happened to me, and I am so excited. I am so glad that I made the right choice moving here, and I am so glad that I have self-drive because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who, you, who you're training with or who is training you. If you don't have the self-drive required to do the work and persevere, I don't think anybody can change you know, um, your results. And so I'm glad I have the self-drive. I'm glad I have a team who is very supportive of me and who are very patient with me when I wasn't doing well. And now I am ready to, uh, to be myself and hopefully uh, get to that next level that I need so badly to get. Excellent. I think that's a great place to wrap things up. Alephine, I appreciate you coming on to talk with me and sharing your story. I think it's a remarkable one and I'm excited to follow the rest of your season and the next couple of years of your career. So thank you. Thank you so much and have a beautiful day. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to tell my story. And that's a wrap on this week's show, which was brought to you by Mercury Mile. Go to mercurymile.com, create a profile, you pick a shipping date, and a few days later, you'll get a curated box of incredible running apparel from your own personal stylist. You keep what you love, you send back what you don't. It's as easy as that. You get free shipping, free returns. There's no subscription necessary. You can try it today at mercurymile.com. Use the code THEMORNINGSHAKEOUT when you check out, and you will save 10 bucks on your personal styling fee. Many thanks to all of you listening into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to help out the show, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating and a review. It takes a few minutes, but it makes a huge difference. Uh, you can also support my work directly on Patreon by going to themorningshakeout.com slash support. Many thanks to all of you who have already supported the show. It means so much to me. And finally, I'd like to thank my audio engineer, John Isaac of bearsrecords.com. He doesn't get enough credit, but thank you, John, for cleaning up my mistakes and making this show sound as good as it does. Until next time, I'm Mario Fraioli, and thank you for listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast.